I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. Well, tomorrow is the third Sunday of Easter, and we're going to keep going. Easter goes on all the way through the Feast of Pentecost, 50 days where we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are an Easter people, and Alleluia is our song. You may be hearing Alleluia an awful lot if you're making your way to the liturgy. Uh, we, we throw it in everywhere we possibly can. Uh, just this last week, we had a couple of tiny little spaces in the bulletin, and, or no bigger than you know the width of your thumb tall, I'm like, what, what, what do you put in those spaces? And we had three of them. I'm like, I know what we're doing. <laughs> we went and we found this beautiful little calligraphy of the word Alleluia, and we kind of sprinkled it throughout because we are an Easter people, and Alleluia is our song. This is kind of, you know, this is, this is our jam, as it were, uh, during this season. We get to really embrace the fullness of the joy that comes with the knowledge of the resurrection. We, we live fully in our redemption at this time, and we make sure that, that we let everybody know it. We, maybe we do it as a reminder to ourselves. We throw in the word Alleluia everywhere because it's important for us to remember that we need to, to proclaim and rejoice in the goodness of God. Hallelujah is a, a Hebrew word. It means praise the Lord, but it means it in a very specific way. There are eight different words in Hebrew for praise, uh, but this this word, hallelujah, uh, comes across uh, and has the connotation of foolishly clamoring, to foolishly clamor. Uh, this is the kind, of, uh, the kind of praise that you might see uh, at a football game, right? This is uh, exuberant, joyous proclamation of praise. Uh, th- th- there are other ways that we can foolishly clamor. We can foolishly clamor simply by giving God praise when we don't feel like it, right? The Magnificat could be an example of foolishly clamoring because all of the words that Mary says there, uh, they they haven't really come true yet, right? She is uh, She's expressing her heart from what she knows is coming, but to a person who hasn't been where she is, it, it can look like foolishness. So in that way, to foolishly clamor could be seen in the lives of the martyrs who were in the Colosseum waiting for the wild animals uh, to come and kill them and were praising God, even if they were doing so in a quiet way, because to everyone around them, that's just utter foolishness. But we are an Easter people. We live with the hope of the resurrection. We live in view of the fullness of God's love for us. And so we can look at the situations around us and act in a way that may seem incongruent with those. We can praise God in the midst of trial and difficulty and sorrow because we know what Easter has done for us. We are an Easter people, and Alleluia is our song. We are a people who live continually in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
you know, the, the rest of the year, we, we have some liturgical focuses that draw our attention to other things that are important, that give us a sense of the whole of salvation history. But ultimately, we are living continually in Easter. Every single Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ in a very profound way. Every single Sunday, every Lord's Day, uh, is for us an Easter. That's why even on our most penitent Sundays, we are still having this feast, this this feast of the Eucharist, this uh, recognition that we have been bought with a price, that we belong to God uh, because of his great love for us and because of the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, uh, that he poured out his life for us on the cross, redeemed us, reconciled us to the Father, and then was raised again to life, ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father. We live ever in the light of that. And no matter what happens, no matter what else is going on, no matter what focus the church gives us in the liturgy, we live in that reality. And so we live there liturgically, but we should also live that out in everything we do. We have been chosen by God. We have been redeemed and given his grace each and every day. And so now we are an Easter people. It's our defining characteristic that we've been redeemed, that we live on this side of the resurrection. That ought to make a difference in the way that we interact with one another. It ought to make a difference in the choices that we make and, and in the entertainment we consume and in the things that we uh, allow ourselves to occupy our time and our day and our attention because we've been redeemed. We are an Easter people. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to be too heavenly minded for any earthly good, and it doesn't mean that we have to pay attention only to, uh, to religious pursuits, that everything has to be somehow uh, covered by piety. It isn't that somehow every pursuit and every moment of every day needs to be occupied with religious pursuits and religious fervor. Uh, even, you know, St. Benedict talks about ora et labora. We, we pray and we work and we pray through our work, but that means that I can pray in some secular pursuit so long as I orient that toward the love of God. And I orient that, to, you know, basically I, I allow those things to be baptized. I realize that every pursuit that I do ought to be fully submitted to the resurrection, to the will of God, and everything that I do ought to bring glory to God. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Tony Vicenda about that, and, and truly, I think that he embodies that so well because he's involved in so many different pursuits that are very disparate in nature, but all of them, in one way or another, serve to bring glory to God and to reveal God to those people that he interacts with. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I'd love to have a conversation with you about how your Easter is going. There's so much more to come right after this, so please don't go anywhere. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. Today, we're talking with our good friend, Tony Vicenda, uh, the, the, the bearded one. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 it's like a cross between, um, gosh, a cross between Thor and Zorba the Greek. Yeah, especially... Thor and the Last Avenger, which we movie. can't talk about. We can't talk we about can't. because we can't. But it's it's within the first third of the movie, and it's not a major plot point. But yes, especially given once once you go see it, you'll know what we're talking you, about. Yeah, I saw this meme uh, that ten years ago I said that I would have the body of Thor, and I finally do. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, if you've watched the movie, you know what we're talking about. And if not, you, you well, you might not be missing out. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but you, you have, uh, we're talking about the beard. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Catholic beard balm is one of your many uh, and a sundry um, projects, joys of life, et cetera, so forth. The way that you spread the gospel is uh, one, one dot of oil one, at a time. One dab at a, at a time, yeah. So um, we started Catholic Balm Co. to support Project YM. Uh, Tia and I were just talking before we hit record about how functionally now I have to just tell people what I do is manage a holding company that manages uh, four different brands and all of which are very distinct and do very different things and all of which I love. And if we didn't have a good team of people it would be impossible yeah. to, uh, to do, but yeah, uh, Catholic bomb co is just a, a really unique way that we are able to help people um, encounter their faith in a different way, in a sensory way, in a way that, resonates with us as uh, as Catholics, um, kind of in an olfactory uh, quality. And then, um, you know, um, also helps them invite other people into the faith. We have we have marriages that have come out of people wearing <laughs> our beard balm. We have children that have come out of people wearing our beard balm. We have uh, uh, lotion bars that uh, and lip balm and all kinds of other things that help just use beauty to attract people into uh into a sense of of the faith and of who God is in a really in a really fun and playful way, but in a way that um, can be taken very seriously. And a lot of our, our customers and we take very seriously also as we kind of pursue holiness in our own lives. You know what I love about the the way that Catholic Beard Balm started uh, is it started out of finding something for your lesson for confirmation students. Mm-hmm. It it. It flowed out of your youth ministry and then eventually has helped fund that youth ministry. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the the, the first three months. <laughs> how how did you come up with this idea of, hey, you know what? I'm going to make, you know, custom uh, and boutique balms that, that people are going to buy over the internet that smell like leather and chrism oil. <laughs> and leather. Leather. Uh, incense and everything yeah. else yeah so um the uh the short version of the story is yeah we were we were doing these sacrament series at my parish and so we had um I, I bought some some essence of chrism i needed to make about an ounce of chrism the minimum amount of essence of chrism you can order is enough to make three gallons <laughs> i was also making beard balm and we were getting ready for this youth ministers conference that we went to for project ym one of our our main brands and the the original brand that started it all all of our ministry work uh, that's focused on supporting Catholic youth workers. And we, um, you know, we people sell T-shirts or they sell, um, you know, uh, books or they sell other things. And I, you know, I was making Beard Balm for friends. I had this essence of chrism. I was like, I'm going to make chrism-scented Beard Balm. And so we scraped together, 
you know, I think it 98 tins and it took me a couple of weeks to get them all done because I was making them like three at a time because, um, I, you know, we were just figuring it all out and sold out within the first couple hours. We were there, had pre-sales, went on the website, sold a few every week. Um, but then Catholic, uh, Catholic memes picked it up and shared it uh, around Father's Day. And um, uh, that was kind of just the start of everything. We were off to the races, had a huge weekend. And then just it's been trying to figure out how to keep up with it all. Um, since then, and uh, hopefully this summer, we've got a lot of transitions in place where for the first time ever, I feel like we're actually going to have it figured out, like where we're going to have things shipping out the next day. We have site management in place, social media management in place, a lot of things where it's not one more demand on my time, but the full team in place, we really need to make um, Catholic Bombco be everything it needs to be uh, to support and grow as a ministry that can then support other people and other ministries also too, which it already does. But we just want to do it the best way possible. And um, it's always been just trying to figure it out. And I feel like we finally are on the verge of having it all figured out. Well, and you mentioned that one of the, you, you manage a holding company that has four other companies. You, you failed to mention that you're also the director of evangelization at a parish. I do work at a parish, but only for a few more months. Right. But so this whole time though, you've had like 12 jobs. Yeah, and I have, I'm married and I have four kids, so I have my primary vocation. Um, and then um, and a wife who's amazing and wonderful and has always been super supportive and helpful and has made made things work um, as far as the bomb company goes a lot of times, managing shipping, but also just managing the household, more importantly. And um, the the reality is, yeah, it's it's been such a crazy trip. And and recently I just discovered like in a lot of prayer and discernment, as much as I love my parish, I'm, I'm more satisfied now in my role and in my job and the work that I do and the community that I'm a part of. Um, I love it. I'm completely satisfied and fulfilled and God is calling me to something else and that I can't serve the community as well as I want to. And so if I love St. Luke's, my church, um, as much as I say, I do that the right thing to do was to step aside to let somebody take on that role because I can't do everything I have in front of me. Uh, right now, so yeah, I've had I've had five jobs, plus a podcast, plus all the other side projects, right. plus married four kids for the last five years. We're talking today with Tony Vicinda. I think that that's something that none of us do very well is discern when it may be time to step back from something. Right? We we almost have this idea that the more work we do, the holier we become. Mm-hmm. And you know, the Desert Fathers talk about this concept of holy leisure that we. We are resting enough. We're spending. We're back from work enough that we can hear the voice of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need to. We need to work. We need to take care of our responsibilities, and yet one of those responsibilities is to have our mind clear enough that we could actually hear what God is saying. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about this discernment process of you stepping back because it's such a. I think a, such a rare thing for people to do these days. Yeah. So, um, I had this experience of healing. Um, uh, and I mean that in a very specific sense, like I had, um, uh, a, a very low level demonic affliction that had been, uh, impacted me since my high school years. I just never really brought to light. Cause when you're in parish ministry, when you're in church ministry, when you're a churchy person, sometimes it's really hard to say, here's why I'm broken. Here's where I'm hurting. Here's what's wrong. You may not have pastoral support. You may not have community support, and because St. Luke's is an amazing community, um, I had this realization that I had never dealt with it, that it had just kind of been sitting in the back of my my mind and my heart. And so I took it to my pastor um, and, you know, asked him if he would, would pray for me, would do some deliverance ministry. Um, and then the next week I went to this Catholic Creatives Conference um, and 
uh, somebody there was like, you should move to Philadelphia. And I laughed in his face. And <laughs> then two hours later, I was in a workshop with some people from the staff office in Philadelphia, their youth ministry office called Anthem. And they were sharing the spiritual core of their ministry. And I just, in my heart, very clearly, God, God was calling me to spend more time working with them. Um, and so I we finished that. I, I actually like texted my wife immediately afterwards. I was like, hey, how would you feel about Philly? Knowing that was one of the only couple places she would be willing to move because her sister uh, was there. And I said, I said, I want us to start praying about it, start thinking about it. So I had this initial moment of, of God really speaking to me, which is one of the easiest ways to kind of say, hey, maybe God wants you to do something is when he actually says, hey, I might want you to do something. Well, but you have to be in a place where you're willing to listen to that. Because how many times has someone come up to us and said, hey, you you ought to do X, Y, Z, and we laugh in their face, and then the next thing comes up and, and it pushes again and we dismiss it again. Yeah. And then it comes up again and we dismiss it again. I mean, the, the you know, I, I picture the story of Samuel, where Samuel is um, a boy in the temple and he hears this voice and and Eli tells him several times, go back to bed, I didn't call you. Uh, and finally he catches on, but he's also supposed to be the priest of the temple, right? Mm-hmm. He's he's the one who's supposed to be communing with God all the time. Of course, of course he's going to figure out, oh, hey, well, maybe this voice means something. But for, for most of us who are just caught up in the busyness of our lives, yeah. always picking up new things and rarely putting things down, how often do we miss that voice of God simply because it seems improbable? Yeah, well, and that's why I start the story with the healing part because it is, it's essential, right? I, I don't think if I had gone and done that healing work that I would have been in a place where I would have been receptive to it. And even with that healing work, my first response was to push off like, you know, um, and maybe it's just because I'm really popular and everybody always wants me to move where they are. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that could have been a clear signal. Like my wife had recently told me that was the only place she would ever consider moving was Pittsburgh or Philly. And um, so anyways, it, it, I was I was certainly blessed to be open enough to it at that moment. But then it's just, okay, maybe that's the case. Let's pray about it, see if that continues to be affirmed. It was. And then it's the process of just discernment of consolation and desolation. What is life giving about the idea of making this transition, about letting this thing go that I love? Um, and then where, where am I experiencing desolation also too? So if I'm experiencing desolation around the idea of leaving and consolation around the idea of staying, um, then that means I should stay. If I'm experiencing it in reverse, which is what the situation was, where I was experiencing consolation and, and a sense of life around leaving and desolation, not around the the idea of staying, but more so around understanding more and more things were happening Whereas like, man, if I hadn't been doing three other things, the parish would have been better served, right? I had to bounce this and this and this. And if I say I love this parish Mm -hmm. and I'm not serving it well enough in this capacity, even if they were reasonable things, you know, like they, and they all were, um, that's a really hard thing. So, so we've got to be attentive consistently to that. So is God speaking to me? How am I experiencing consolation? How am I experiencing desolation? In, in the last minute here, explain the difference between pros and cons, the list of pros and cons, and looking at consolation and desolation. Yeah, so one is um, the human strategic advantage of something, right? Right. 
And the other one is a sense of God's life and presence and his wholeness within that decision from a consolation standpoint and a sense of disintegration, um, being non-integrated um, around whatever whatever sort of desolation you're experiencing within that. So um, one is very much a holistic, non-strategic, non explicit thing a lot of the time um, that you've got to be way more attentive to versus just sitting down and coming up with a human strategy for it. You know, I, I like to put it this way. When I talk to people making a decision, I say, go where your peace is, right? Where, where is the peace of God sitting with you? Cause a lot of times it's not necessarily the thing that you most want to do, No, but you can have this sense of, Oh, I really don't want to do this. And yet I have peace in that place. Yeah. Go with your peace and follow your bliss are two very different things. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking today with Tony Vicinda. He is the the man behind Catholic Beard Balm, Project YM, The Threshold Podcast, and much more. We're pleased to have him on the show again. You can find other episodes with him by going to OutsideTheWalls.com. Scrolling down in the sidebar till you find his name, Tony Vicinda. Click that link and you'll see a couple of other episodes that he's joined us on. When we come back, we're going to be discussing the three transcendentals of truth, goodness, and beauty and how we can use those to interact with the world around us and use them to point the world to God. Join me over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I'd love to have you come and join the conversation. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL talking today with Tony Vicenda. He is the uh, the master of all trades. He's the, the founder of Catholic Beard Balm, co-founder of Project YM. You got a, a, a new, it's not it's not really a board game it's, because it's, there's no board. It's not. It's, it is an improv card game. You could call it a storytelling game, but really it, it falls more into the party game category. Nobody right now probably really cares about the differentiation between those things who are listening. <laughs> it's a fun game. Uh, that you, that's fun to play with a group of anywhere between three and 42 people. Um, and it's called brand standing where you make up and then pitch fake businesses to everybody else in the room. And they decide how they're going to invest in you and everyone else playing person who wins is the person who gets the most money for their dating service for mall Santas or their food truck for the mafia or whatever it might be um, that they've then pitched to everybody else. And the person who is their primary investor always wins. So even if you're not super creative, you can just be good at investing. You know, it, it's uh, it's like a cross between Shark Tank, maybe a little bit of Monopoly, yeah, uh, and and Balderdash, yeah, and um, it's this whole idea of it's you know there's nothing in this explicitly that's religious, uh, and yet there's something very much uh, just in the sense of being creative, yeah, that that is an expression of our faith. It's the difference between um, going and seeing uh, the Michelangelo artwork and seeing uh, the artwork that you see at the bookstore with 
the, the generic landscape, and at the bottom of it, there's a Bible verse, and so it's right. got it's Christian art. Right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Michelangelo is is working through the personal genius that God gave him. The person who puts the scripture verse at the bottom of the random stock photo. Uh, is not on either side of that for the most part. Um, it's not to say that they can't be impactful for somebody. Right. Um, but yeah, there's a significant difference in the artistry between between those two things. And, you know, we, we talk about a lot that, that scripture flows to the personal genius of the writer. But I think we oftentimes forget that we each have that own kind of personal genius and that God's trying to reach other people through that. Um, I was giving a talk um, on the Transcendentals this last weekend. I went out to Philly um, to kind of look around to a high school, group of high school students, um, and uh, you know we don't we don't introduce it necessarily as here are the three transcendentals. We do we do drop that in there so they they know it. But for someone who doesn't know what the three transcendentals are, yeah, we just tell them that it's it's you know I want to talk to you about three ways that you can help people encounter God. That's that's goodness, beauty, and truth. Um, uh, Father Bishop Barron or Bishop Barron and I. Uh, getting disagreements all the time, never in person because we don't hang out, <laughs> about um, whether you should lead with beauty, which he proposes, or goodness, which I would propose. Um, either one is fine. It really depends on the person. It depends on how God has created you also, too. Um, but finding which one of those three you feel actually attracted and excited to, that you're gifted at sharing, that you can use as an inroads to telling people about who God is, because we as Catholics are able to affirm that which is good and true and beautiful in the created world as stemming from God, even when it comes from a source that we might think of as misaligned or non-aligned with the faith. So whether that's secular or whether it's even from another faith, um, we can actually point at those good, true, beautiful things as having their source and their root um, in God. And Speaking of improv party games, there's the improv party game, Yes And. Yes. Uh, and? And? You're not allowed to say no but right. at all. Whatever that person says before you, you have to take and then build on, right? A yes and. And in a way, that's what the transcendentals are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're not ever saying, uh, or, or we avoid as much as possible saying, oh, no, that's wrong. Everything that you have over there is wrong. Because one of the things that that does is it automatically puts in a defense. Right. If we start with the areas where we don't have commonality or where um, uh, where we're limited to our own experience or their own experience, then all we're doing is is building conflict. Mm -hmm. And the transcendentals allow us to say, yes, I see that thing. Let me build on that. Like Paul in the book of, of Acts going right. up to the Areopagus and he, he sees all the various sundry idols that are all over the place. And he could very easily say, you people, you pantheists, you're all you're all going to go to hell. God is bringing judgment down upon you. But he says instead, I see that you're a very religious people. <laughs> In every aspect, I see how religious you are. And Paul spent days before that mm -hmm. um, walking around observing Athenian culture. Actually, that whole section of Acts is Paul going to different places and typically being run out very quickly. And then you, I mean, he presents the gospel message, but it's him going in, presenting the message, having a little bit of fruit, but then kind of getting driven out. And in Athens, he goes in and he takes kind of this different approach where he observes, walks around, finds this altar to an unknown God, this thing in their culture that he can he can look at the truth in and then proclaim to them this deeper truth to build on in that yes and capacity. Um, and he uses that, and he's actually incredibly successful. He still gets run out of town, 
but not not because people don't like what he's proposing about God, but because he says, hey, stop buying gold and silver and stone idols. And the gold and silver and stone idol makers who made a lot of money off that trade ran him out of town. Right. Um, but his his tact of, of sharing the faith with people is actually more effective in Athens than it had been in the previous cities that he was in because he took that time to look for the seeds of the gospel that were present in the culture that were transcendental that showed how God was already there. And I think that's the biggest thing that I, I share with Catholics when I'm teaching them about evangelization and that the seeds of the gospel and the transcendentals free us to understand in, a, in the, in the best way possible. We have an assumption lots of times that we have this burden to go out and evangelize people and we have a responsibility. That's, that's true. But we think about the fact that we have to drag the cross up to the top of, of you know, Calvary and uh, and bear that burden of taking taking Jesus to them mm-hmm. rather than understanding that Christ has actually preceded us to right. that place and that he is already there. And all we have to do is go discover him with joy. Um, and I think that's a shift that we need to understand is when you're able to find these transcendental realities within the culture they should be joyful moments of discovery because in that moment you're meeting Christ in the culture in a completely different way and you're being able to share him with others in a way that should bring you joy and them joy by knowing this deeper truth and reality. Well, and the whole thing about transcendentals is that you can have truth and goodness and beauty in a limited supply, but you can never have the fullness of truth and goodness and beauty because they they can be infinitely mm-hmm. uh, experienced right and so when we when we go in and we see this transcendental we, we see an expression of goodness limited though it may be or an experience of beauty or truth and we say oh I love this too I love this this truth and this beauty too this is how I understand it now we're not uh, starting off with a negative. We're not starting off with a disagreement. We're not even starting off with a, a scolding or a teaching or a correcting. We're sharing a love. Right. Uh, I see something that you love and I love it too. And let me help you love it even more. Mm-hmm. Right. No. And, th- and that is, that's, that's the, the, that's the truth of the gospel that transcends everything um, is that, the church and God are, are bigger than we can possibly hold inside of ourselves that, that the created universe can hold. He contains those things. And so there's always more of it to be discovered. And so we get to go on this process of discovery with people. And, and to a very real degree, we're less as Catholics when we're not seeking out those opportunities with each other. If, if our deepest identity as the church is to evangelize, and if the transcendentals are one of the primary inwards that we can use to do that, then we are not being the fullness of ourselves or pursuing the fullness of Christ when we're not actually looking for those moments and those ways that we can use those transcendentals to share who God is with the world around us. Now, earlier you said that um, each of us has a special way and a unique way that we can interact with uh, the transcendentals and and maybe one that we're attracted to more or have an easier time sharing. Um, What does that look like? How, How do I discern for myself which of these I'm better at, at expressing and sharing with others. Yeah, I think universally, like we all, we all get excited about one of those things when we hear it. And there's usually one that's kind of like, like for us, like we're not necessarily super attracted to do. I think there's kind of that initial desire that we have. We're going to, you're going to sense some attraction to one over the other. And I would actually say, if you, if you think it's truth, 
we live in uh, in a in a in a post enlightenment world, and we can oftentimes trick ourselves into thinking that we're actually most concerned with truth when we're actually concerned with our own right, our own righteousness, our self righteousness. Um, so just be on guard against that. You may actually be very very attracted to that, and that's okay, and that's good, and that's beautiful also <laughs> too, because they're all intrinsically linked. Um, but um, look at which one stirs that desire up in you, and then look at what your natural gifts are. You know, if you are an artist. Um, then look at beauty. But you're also somebody who enjoys hiking in God's creation, you know, and spending time out in nature. Then beauty actually may be what attracts you also. It just may be the natural beauty of God's creation as opposed to uh, manufactured beauty, right? A, a painting or a great work of art. Um, if you're somebody who's drawn towards outreach, towards social justice, towards doing good for others and seeking the common good of those around us, you know, goodness may be a big part of that. Um, I think I think it's been really easy, and again, I want to I'm not want to don't want to pick on truth because truth actually, for me, is the one that I'm always the most concerned with. Um, but I had to learn that the number one truth that we're called to, and this even goes into the discernment process, is not um, right or wrong because the the moral life that that Christ and the Church propose are actually life or death, not right or wrong. Right? right. Um, we, we're seeking life in Christ, not just to be right in an argument, and so. It's to be the person we were made to be. The honestness and the truth that we are going to be most satisfied seeking out is to be ourselves. And this is my closing point last night um, when I was talking about this at the parish was I have oftentimes tricked myself into being the husband I think my wife deserves rather than being the husband that God made me to be for her. And that makes me think that I know more about who I'm supposed to be than God knows. And he made me and he knows me fully in a way that I never will. And so that's the truth that we first and foremost have to seek out. And if you're not interested in that, then you're not interested in truth. And you should start with goodness or beauty. Because truth is not fact. Truth is authenticity. Right. Not to say, you know, to your own self be true or be authentic or... Or that but, facts don't matter, right? Right. Yeah. But authentic in the, in the sense of something as it was truly created to be in its essence. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get, like, you know, the ode to the, the Grecian vases, you know, beauty and truth are synonymous with each other because especially in in the ancient world you didn't have beautiful things that didn't do what they did well you didn't have mm -hmm. a vase that was beautiful that wasn't a good vase and you didn't have a vase that was um that was made for just the purpose it was made for without some concept of craftsmanship everything was made to be true and beautiful at the same time and the the reality is um, I think just knowing more about yourself, forming self-knowledge, um, can be one of the biggest inroads into that. Um, you know, if you had asked me years ago if I thought I was going to be able to um, one day make Beard Bomb to share the gospel, I would not have said yes. Um, if you asked me if I ever thought I would make a board game, I would have said yes, but I would have thought just for personal pleasure, not that we'd be getting ready to take it to market, or that I'd have large-scale partnerships with major secular companies around that, with business schools, with other people um, but most of the people involved in the entire process are Catholic. So it's being rooted and grounded in who we are as a people of faith first. And then we're seeing the fruit of that flow out into the secular society around us. And so just watching even within a secular product of how we do that, of how we root that in who we are, and watching the way that fruit comes from that because we're being our authentic selves. Um, that's been a really beautiful process. We're talking today with Tony Vicenda. You can find them on the Threshold Podcast at Catholic Beard Balm Project YM and so much more talking about the transcendentals. 
There's more to this conversation with him available to those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Support the Show link up in the top right-hand corner, and find out how you can get even more amazing content. There's more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We've been talking today with Tony Vicenda, good friend of ours here at the show. He's come on the show a few times. It's always a pleasure to have him on. We have such wide-ranging discussions because he is kind of a renaissance man, does a little bit of everything. Uh, and we talked today uh, a little bit about the transcendentals the, uh, of truth and goodness and beauty and how we can interact with those and how through those we can reveal God to the world. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our shows are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And while you're there, go click the link in the top right corner that says Support the Show Patreon and take a look because... Each and every week, we provide extra content, an extra segment, uh, and we have a great segment with Tony where we continue our discussion, available to everyone who supports the show through Patreon. Our supporters help keep us on the air. They make sure that uh, we're able to continue to bring you these excellent interviews each week. For as little as $5 a month, you too can get access to these. You can find out more information about that over at OutsideTheWalls.com. Click that Patreon link. Uh, if you want to get a sense of what those extra segments are, there's a few segments through there uh, on that same page that you can listen to that are open to the public and many more that are available once you become a supporter. Well, let's go ahead and turn our attention now to our readings from Scripture and from church history. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the Gospel of John. Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will also know my Father. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have you been with me for so long a time, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me is doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe because of the works themselves. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and will do greater ones than these because I am going to the Father and whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything of me in my name, I will do it. That reading comes from the Gospel of John. You know, Peter gets a bad rap for putting his foot in his mouth. And uh, and he does that. Most certainly, he does it more than any of the other apostles. 
but that's only because he talks more than any of the other apostles. The, uh, all of them were fully capable of, uh, of making missteps and misstatements. And here we have Philip doing that very thing. Um, and I really identify with him. I do, because you get this sense that you hear the promises of God, and, and whether you hear them through Scripture or whether you uh, hear them through the Spirit speaking to you or or whether you're like Philip and Jesus is standing right in front of you, you hear these promises that come from God, and you're like, oh, yeah, I really want that. I really want to, to appropriate that and to experience those promises. And and Jesus turns to to us and to Philip and says, no, you, you are experiencing those. You are having the fullness of it. You might not uh, fully understand it yet, but you are an Easter people, right? Uh, Alleluia is your song. This is what you have available to you. And Jesus goes on to say to him, uh, you know, even if you don't believe that the Father is in me and I am in the Father because of the words that I'm speaking, look at these things that I have done, right? Look at the things that I do and believe because of the works themselves. This is one of the reasons that in the Old Testament, so often, so often, God calls on his people to remember his works. Throughout the Psalms and the Proverbs and the prophets, over and over, God is calling to mind his, his power in creation, his works in creation, his work in, in delivering the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt. And so too for us, we ought to be recalling the works of God over and over and finding our place within them as that Easter people that he has suffered and died and rose again and ascended into heaven for our sake. And as a redeemed people, now we have been given rights and responsibilities. We've been given the rights as children of God, but also the responsibilities to live out as children of God. And here he says to to Philip, he says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. And the works that you see me doing that that I'm asking you to believe in me through, uh, even greater works than these you're going to do because I go to the Father. We find our identity in his redeeming work and have our marching orders because of his redeeming work. Our reading from church history follows on that same theme and comes from a commentary from the first letter of Peter by St. Bede the Venerable. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. This praise was given long ago by Moses to the ancient people of God, and now the Apostle Peter rightly gives it to the Gentiles, since they have come to believe in Christ, who, as the cornerstone, has brought the nations together in the salvation that belonged to Israel. Peter calls them a chosen race because of their faith, to distinguish them from those who, by refusing to accept the living stone, have themselves been rejected. They are a royal priesthood because they are united to the body of Christ, the supreme king and true priest. As sovereign, he grants them his kingdom. As high priest, he washes away their sins by the offering of his blood. Peter says that they are a royal priesthood. They must always remember to hope for an everlasting kingdom and to offer to God the sacrifice of a blameless life. They are also called a consecrated nation, a people claimed by God as his own. In accordance with the Apostle Paul's explanation of the prophet's teaching, my righteous man lives by faith, but if he draws back, I will take no pleasure in him. 
But we, he says, are not the sort of people who draw back and are lost. We are those who remain faithful until we are saved. In the Acts of the Apostles, we read, The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Thus, through the blood of our Redeemer, we have become a people claimed by God as his own. As in ancient times, the people of Israel were ransomed from Egypt by the blood of a lamb. In the next verse, Peter also makes a veiled allusion to the ancient story and explains that this story is to be spiritually fulfilled by the new people of God so that, he says, they may declare his wonderful deeds. Those who were freed by Moses from slavery in Egypt sang a song of triumph to the Lord after they had crossed the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army had been overwhelmed. In the same way, now that our sins have been washed away in baptism, we too should express fitting gratitude for the gifts of heaven. The Egyptians who oppress the people of God, and who can also stand for darkness or trials, are an apt symbol of the sins that once oppressed us, but have now been destroyed in baptism. The deliverance of the children of Israel and their journey to the long-promised land correspond with the mystery of our redemption. We are making our way toward the light of our heavenly home with the grace of Christ leading us and showing us the way. The light of his grace was also symbolized by the cloud and the pillar of fire, which protected the Israelites from the darkness throughout their journey and brought them by a wonderful path to their promised homeland. That reading comes to us from the commentary on the first letter of Peter by St. Bede the Venerable. And he's commenting on uh, the letter of, of 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 9, where, where Peter says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may announce the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so here, here we have Peter telling us, hey, God has work for you to do, right? This isn't just, oh, oh, you're special. This isn't a, a self-esteem lecture. Rather, this is an affirmation that, that God has set us apart for a purpose. Yes, it is important that we hear the words, that we're a chosen people and a holy race. And some of the versions of the Bible say a peculiar people, right? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own for the purpose of, so that you may announce the praises, the alleluias of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. So what does that look like this week? What does it look like in your context to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light? What way are you going to exude and, and, uh, and reflect the truth and the goodness and the beauty of God to all those you come in contact with? May God give us the wisdom to discern those ways this week. That's all the time we have for today. Today's show was brought to you by Carrie Carlson and all of those who support the show through Patreon. 
go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link in the top right-hand corner, and see how you can join their numbers. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.